powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leader's podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Better Than Before. Tony Richards here, along with producer Bill and project manager Whitney. We've got a lot of things to cover today. We're going to talk about some technology breakthroughs in healthcare. We're going to talk about 3D printing of houses. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about what April could mean to you and various celebrations that you could do. And we might even let you in on our private conversation on whether or not Eeyore is a donkey or a mule. So just to muddy the water, I may throw Burrow in too. So I'm not quite sure because it's Eeyore's birthday this month, right? Isn't that how we started on that discussion? Yes. His birthday is on April the 30th. That was the day Eeyore was born, I suppose. So what did we decide? Is a donkey, a mule, or a burrow? I think it's a donkey. I'm the only one that thinks it's a mule. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. So just so you know, April is Autism Awareness Month. If you want to look to, for a donation or a worthy cause this month, you might want to make a donation to uh, the Autism Society. Alcohol Awareness Month is this month. I'm sure some people, I enjoy math. I'm not sure everybody does. But it's Math Awareness Month, National Humor Month. I know my wife would enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, National Garden Month, where neither my wife or I, either one, even though I grew up on a farm, I do not have a green thumb. Therefore, most of the plants in our house are fake, so they always look good. And uh, it's International Guitar Month. Renee used to work with us. She was a banjo player. Although, if you remember, we never got her interested in playing the banjo publicly. No, we tried. We tried. We tried. So maybe sometime before April's over, we'll get up somebody with a guitar in here and uh, help us honor International Guitar Month. So here's uh, one special thing about this week in April, though, is this is National Library Week. Uh, I'm a very avid reader I have to say I probably spent more time in the library in school than I have since I've been out of school over the last several years I have been to the library here in Columbia a few times it's very nice I remember when it was built and uh, very nice architecture and they have a great selection I just don't go to the library very often what about you guys I'm the same way I don't go to the library you know I'm still in that limbo of like getting out of master's program to where I do go to the library only when I'm trying to learn something new because maybe I don't want to buy the book and I'd rather not read it online. So I'm one of those old school like to feel the physical book in my hand. So that's where I, I like the library for that. I've often said that I think God made the internet for me because I am the ultimate researcher. I mean, I, I can get lost for hours researching uh, and it's just so easy on the internet. What's your thoughts about how technology will affect libraries going forward? I think it's already affecting the library. I know I download books and music from the library. Technology has also helped with their indexing. You know, you're able to get a lot more research a lot faster from a library because of online systems that was made possible because of the Internet. We probably ought to have somebody from the library on as a guest sometime. That'd be an interesting thing to talk about because I'm sure there are a lot of things that the library does that we're not aware of that are very beneficial that maybe can't be done by the internet or something. Well, I think it's still a great educational tool for children. Well, I think it does cultivate discipline in people. 
you know, to have to go to the library. Mm. Well, anymore, people just pick up their phone. You got a more powerful computer than was used to land on the moon in your pocket every day, you know, so it's easy just to pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. There's a commercial on TV right now that doesn't make any sense to me, which is not uncommon. There's a lot of commercials on TV that don't make sense to me, but there's a kid calling his dad. He's got a flat tire. He's saying, sure, dad, I know what a lug wrench is. And then he puts the phone down. He goes, what's a lug wrench? And I'm like, a kid like that would just look at that phone and look up lug wrench and get a picture of it and match it with the tools that are laying out in front of him. So it it was creative, but it just didn't make sense. That kid's not going to say to his dad, he doesn't know. He's going to look it up on the internet, right? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I gave you guys access to some of my normal reading this week. A lot of technology, and I shared some of these articles with you. The first one that I shared with you is about treating blindness. So they're doing a lot of research now, and I gave a presentation to a client here a while back about technology and how it's changing our customers' lives. And I was talking about ocular degeneration how they're using stem cells to treat ocular degeneration in eyesight. This particular article is talking about gene therapy, which is a lot like stem cell. Like, what'd you pull out of it? I think the ability to grow a gene, a lab-grown gene, is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. What I thought was really interesting was the amount of money that it costs for it. I believe it said somewhere around $425,000 per eye, and something like that for... You know, a rare disease that only affects about 6,000 people. I'm not sure how well that's going to sell on the market. I have often been so thankful because I do like to read so much that I have my eyesight. And I probably would try to figure out a way to get the 425000 if I was going to be in that position. But the cost of technology goes down over time. We know that. I told you guys before, I, I paid $1,000 for my first DVD player, and now you can buy them for 50 bucks, right? Right. As the technology gets perfected, my niece works down in Houston. She's going to school, and she works on something called CRISPR. And for people who know about gene therapy and DNA splicing and things like that. They know that CRISPR is part of that. Her particular team is working on breast cancer and being able to uh, edit and alter DNA to eliminate and or prevent breast cancer. It's just really fascinating. Yeah. A lot of colleges and universities do focus groups on things like this because they talk about the moral implications of changing someone's genetic makeup. And uh, so the question comes up, would you edit your children? If you had the opportunity. So if your kid has red hair and you want them to have black hair, uh, you can go in and edit that and and give them black hair. And would you do that or would you just or green eyes or blue eyes or whatever? I think all of us uh, that went to college had red eyes. But, you know, if you wanted to change their eye color, would you? And everybody in the focus groups always say no. Mm -hmm. But I believe that's because it's not really possible yet. So when something becomes medically possible, there are some people who would do it. Well, that might not be the right question to ask those focus groups, you know, because if my child was not going to be blind when it was born by editing its genes, my answer would be yes. Mm -hmm. So I don't really care about its hair color because we've got, you know, box dyes that can do that without $400,000. Yeah. A lot of people, when you first present that question to them about hair color or eye color or 
skin tone or any of that stuff, they always say, oh, that's that's vain. You know, that's prideful. I'm like, well, a lot of people do a lot of cosmetic things that are vain or prideful every day. But because they're able to and it's a reality and it's an option, people do it. I think as it becomes an option, more and more people will probably say yes. And then if it's some kind of degenerative disease or something like that, I mean, you definitely would want that because you want your kid to have every advantage, right? Right. Right. All right, so 3D printed houses. So there's an article that I sent you guys about this 3D printed house that went up in a day for under $10,000. That was crazy. Bill, you're a homeowner. Whitney, you're not a homeowner yet. I'm a homeowner. So we all know you invest a lot. It's probably the biggest financial deal that most people will make in their lifetime. Most definitely. I mean, if you're not in business where you make regular acquisitions or something like that, millions of dollars, just the regular American citizen, the biggest purchase ever is usually their house. So when you think about being able to print a house, which I it sounds funny coming out of my mouth, but to do it for less than $10,000, I mean, what do you think the quality is? From what I read, the quality is excellent. So I'm embarrassed to say this as a thought leader and as a consultant and somebody who it feels like they're on top of things, but I've never been to South by Southwest in Austin, and it is the place where a lot of this stuff gets unveiled. So this was last week at South by Southwest. Construction technology startup icon and housing nonprofit New Story unveiled their version of a 3D printed house. It's 650 square feet and consists of a living room, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, and shaded porch. It went from zero to finished under 24 hours and cost less than $10,000. Equivalent homes built in developing countries will cost only 4000 And I think that's where this can be used to make the most of the technology is to help with developing worlds, solve poverty and homelessness. So this uh, nonprofit news story is in the process of raising $600,000 to fund a planned 100-home community in El Salvador. It will be the first ever community of 3D printed homes, and printing will begin later this year, and the goal is for families to be moving in by 2019. Donors can fund a full house for someone for just $4,000 investment. Kind of cool. So what does that do to homelessness and issues like that, you think? Does that put a dent in it? Or does it not matter how much a house costs? There's going to be homeless people. But it's got to put a dent in it. Yep. Back in the mid-2000s, we went through the housing crisis, and then we went through the economic recession, and a lot of that was caused by home loans that were made that shouldn't have been made because people thought everybody should have a house, right? So they designed these programs where people could get houses, and they really couldn't afford them. This might be another alternative way for people who are low income to be able to afford a house. $10,000, it's a lot of money still, but I mean, for a house, it's not. That's half the price of a new car. Yeah, yeah. Or in my case, a fourth of a cost of a car. <laughs> All right, and so our last article uh, that I sent you guys was another healthcare technology article about the sensor. And I know they've done some of this research at the uh, University of Missouri here in Columbia, but this tractor beam sensor that they inject in you that can find cancer. So what what resonated about this article with you? This just really shows how technology is just advancing to where, you know, it 
can possibly solve some of the major crises that are going on today. Mm-hmm. The WGM biosensor, which Arnold named for the famous whispering gallery in the dome of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, is a device the size of a small smartphone comprising a tunable laser guided down a specifically treated fiber optic filament with a detector at the far end of the filament measuring the light's intensity and resonance. A tiny silica bead next to the filament diverts a portion of the light beam, which begins to resonate within the bead the way sound resonates under the dome of the church gallery for which the phenomenon is named. I know one fella, maybe we can get him on the podcast one day, but uh, he talks about all the technology that has been developed that the idea came from nature Hmm. or architecture or something like that right so it's pretty fascinating so they they got this idea for this sound resonance from this domed church kind of cool it really is so anything we can do to i mean my parents are both cancer survivors i get my blood tested on a fairly regular basis because having both of your parents with a cancer history you want to try to get early detection definitely Well, fascinating, fascinating technology. We want to share that with our audience. Coming up later on the show, we're going to be talking about culture. This month, uh, all of our Clear Vision content, most of it anyway, is going to be focused on education of culture and climate in organizations. So I'm going to be talking about Southwest Airlines culture and uh, also not to be a culture copycat because it doesn't work. Coming up next, our special guest for today's podcast, the Columbia Chamber of Commerce Executive Director, Matt McCormick, will be joining us on the show. So we'll be right back with Matt after this. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. You're listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards. My guest today is Matt McCormick. He's the president of the Columbia Chamber of Commerce, located in Columbia, Missouri, with almost 20 years tenure in the chamber industry. Matt brings a wealth of knowledge and expertise to organizations and individuals utilizing his professional experience to strengthen business entrepreneurs and executives seeking success. Having held positions ranging from membership director to president, Matt has a keen understanding of what is required to build and sustain a successful team. I'm sure we'll talk about that today. And a graduate of Stephen F. Austin University. Always have a great basketball team there. And uh, has a degree in speech communications, and he went on to graduate from the Institute of Organizational Management as well as receive a certified chamber executive, highest distinction among chamber professionals. And so, Matt, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. Glad to have you here. Now, we've known each other since you've been here, I think. Yeah, about five years now. How did we first meet? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was through Leadership Columbia. I went through the class whenever I got here so I could learn a little bit more about Columbia, Missouri, and you were doing uh, the leadership component of it. That gives me a frame of reference, so I'm thinking that's 2013 right? Yeah, I was a class of 2014. 2014. So I got here in 2013, but then I took that upcoming class. Great. Yeah. So uh, I remember that now. So tell me a little bit about your background. Grew up. You grew up in Texas, right? Born and raised. Yeah. So what part? 
My dad was in the utility business, so we kind of got moved around some, but mostly between East Texas and the Dallas Metroplex and kind of back and forth. I love Texas. Oh, yeah. That's a great place. No state income tax. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. A lot of my friends that do a lot of the same things I do have moved to Texas uh, for that reason. So what got you... What got you interested in Chamber of Commerce work? <laughs> really kind of how by, did that how did that catch your eye? <laughs> really kind of by accident, you know. I uh, I got married to my wonderful wife, and uh, while we were still in college, and she was starting her master's, and I needed a job so I could support uh, myself and her. And through a friend of a friend, ended up applying for a job at the as a membership director doing sales for that chamber. Come to find out, the president of that chamber was the president of my old hometown chamber, what I call my hometown in the Dallas area. Wow. So we, we sat there and talked and shot the bull about a bunch of people we used to know. And uh, my dad and my father-in-law both served on his board of directors back there. And next thing I knew, I was working for the chamber as a as membership director. I spent two years with him and he taught me a lot. And I fell in love with the industry and I didn't want to leave it. That's great. And your wife's name is? Tammy. Tammy. And yeah. then you've got kids. We got two little ones. that are not so little anymore. I, I still see them as little, but uh, got us a sixth grader uh, and uh, my son's sixth grade and my daughter's in first. Oh, wow. So for your kids, is this home? Yeah. You know, uh, our daughter doesn't remember. We were back for spring break and visiting family and such, and she doesn't remember. We, she was barely over two when we moved here. and But my son definitely remembers and keeps in touch with some of his friends there and such. But to them, this is home. Yeah, so for you, Texas is still home. Right? Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's what I call maybe home state, hometown, if you will. But uh, we've definitely made Columbia our home. Yeah, it's like me. I mean, Kentucky will always be my home, but I'm a convert. There you go. Right. <laughs> um, so give me a little timeline of your chamber career. That's how you got interested in chamber. So yeah. so then what happened? Like, how did you advance through the... I had it on your bio, but I want to hear you tell it. Yeah. So I spent two years with the Lufkin Angelina County Chamber as our membership director. My wife was wrapping up her master's. We wanted to get back to the Dallas Metroplex. Put in and got kind of recruited to a little chamber south of Dallas in a town by the name of Cedar Hill and had about 21,000 population and spent seven years with them. It was me and one part-time person uh, running a chamber of about 350 people, 350 members, and spent seven years there and grew a chamber, grew them about double and and doubled our staff, which meant we were at three people, right? So, right, right. <laughs> then I got recruited, uh, spent seven years there. And then um, 2007, I got recruited to uh, north of Dallas to a chamber in Louisville, Texas, and really worked with that chamber to help turn some things around that had some financial challenges. And uh, we worked uh, diligently for about six years. And uh, I was there for six years and really wasn't planning on going anywhere and uh, for quite a while. And then I got contacted by the recruiter for Columbia. And uh, we started talking, and uh, in 2013, we made our way here. Yeah, I remember that whole process uh, when they recruited you and uh, some of the really nice people on the committee that, that were in the yeah. Yeah. hiring process and all that. So they did a good job bringing you here. I appreciate that. I, I think so. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I mean, you're obviously very distinguished in the chamber organization. It says here you serve on the U.S. Chambers Institute for mm-hmm. Organizational Management Board of Trustees, Association of Chamber of Commerce Executives Board of Directors, and is a commissioner for the Certified Chamber Executives Program. So you're not just active in our Chamber of Columbia, you're active in Chamber all over. Yeah, you know, it's it gives me the opportunity, and I always have to thank uh, our Chamber here and my Board of Directors for allowing me to do those things, but it gives us the opportunity to 
promote Columbia and the Columbia Chamber on a national level and build that network of other professionals that we, uh, you know, that I call family, professional family and that network across the nation and uh, some either even in up in Canada and uh, down in some of the islands gotten to know through through some of that. So, you know, with the working with the clients that I work with, a lot of times I'm involved in some of the recruiting, especially if they're upper level executives. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you first talk to somebody about possibly moving to Columbia, Missouri, it doesn't really <laughs> register with them very well. They ask a lot of questions. Yep. Then they come check out the city and they stay here for a little while and they yeah. fall in love yeah. with it. So when they recruited you to come to Columbia, what were you thinking? Oh, you know, uh, kind of the same thing. And I remember when I was talking to my wife, uh, whenever the, the recruiter called me, we talked for a little while and uh, we were driving somewhere and I asked my wife what she thought about Columbia, Missouri. And she said, I don't. Why? <laughs> yeah, I don't think about it. <laughs> so we started talking and I came up for a visit and uh, then she got to come up for a visit and we were just, uh, we could see ourselves here. Yeah. It's a special place. And then the longer we live here, the more and more we fall in love with it every day and the more uh, our kids fall in love with it and um, just love being a part of it. You know, it's got, it's got a little bit of everything that you need. When I was in my former corporate career and I traveled all the time, Columbia was one of the markets that was in our company and it was always my favorite place to go. Yeah. I ended up transferring here for about five years before I left the company and started my own company. But it was just, uh, I, I just, it was a very well known little known secret i yeah. guess when i travel all over the country now and they ask me where i live and i tell them they're like oh home of the tigers yes yeah. i mean they know a little bit about it but nobody really knows what it's like to live here they know about the university which is always a good thing they know about the sports that the university brings in but they don't know about columbia and, and everything else columbia has to offer i remember when i came back from my first visit my wife asked she goes so what'd you think and i said uh Really cool. They have a lot of local owned restaurants and local owned businesses. And we don't get a lot of that in the Metroplex. It's all chain and everything. And so uh, we're really excited. She just laughed at me. <laughs> so. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I just, I don't think you really understand it or, or can relate to yeah. it unless you hear. Yeah, right? it really is. So what are some of the impacts that you feel like the chamber makes on the city of Columbia? You know, we work a lot in the government affairs arena on uh, both uh, the city, county, and state level, and then also starting some work on the federal level. Uh, but, you know, we really work on those arenas that uh, we can work with the city and the county on how can our businesses be successful here, uh, making sure, if you will, that Columbia is open for business. You start taking a look at a community, it's really kind of made up of three parts. It's your municipal side of things, it's your education side of things, and then it's the business community. Um, and those are your three legs of a community, if you will, and then everything else starts growing from that. And so we really work and uh, help be impactful in that arena. We also work in workforce development and then also in uh, hopefully grooming some of those leaders for that next generation who's going to be running our community. So those are kind of those areas that we like to also be the voice of business yeah. uh, in that arena. And, you know, I'm all about developing those people, yeah. you know, that are going to be, I feel like that's part of my give back to the community yeah. too, is being involved in those emerging leaders development and lives and love the leadership Columbia program for sure. Oh, yeah. What are some of the big things that are going to be happening with the chamber in 2018? You know, you take a look at some of the things that we're really focusing on is we're starting to step up some of our federal involvement. 
some legislative affairs. Uh, you're also going to see some big things for Columbia with the airport. Also where we're going to be involved in that, where we can partner and help out with the city and ready on that. I think you're also going to see we have, uh, you know, we do our switch over. Our year runs July to June. And so we got uh, our new leadership that's starting to take place. It's time that we start working on a new strategic plan. And so really taking a look at what are some of those three, four big initiatives that we need to start working on in our community. Transportation is probably going to be one of them. Uh, which will include the airport, but also just transportation in general. How do we make sure that our businesses can move their goods and services? How can we make sure that um, uh, we have an education system pre-K up and quote Peter Steepleman, our great superintendent. He always talks about how the community with the best school wins. And it's so true. It's a linchpin to so much that we do. And so where do we, where do we start working in that arena to make sure that we're moving some things forward? I'll say hi to Susan Hart too, because she's going to be your incoming president of your board. Yeah. Very excited. You know, we currently have Dave Nivens, who's our chair, and then also Susan Hart coming in in July one. And so we couldn't ask for a better back-to-back chairs. And uh, we've got some great leadership in place. You know, it's encouraging whenever your businesses want to be a part of the board and part of that leadership where the chamber's going to be moving forward. You know, when we sit down and take a look at that nominating committee starts taking a look, it's always difficult whenever you got 20 names for six slots and trying to figure that out and working with a lot of really good businesses to be a part of that. Great. I'm going to ask you this because you're kind of the CEO of the chamber. So I always like to ask people in that position, what's your three big priorities for the upcoming year? What are the three things you're really going to focus on where your organization is concerned? You know, one of them is going to be setting that new strategic plan and those new initiatives. That's one of the big ones to work on. You know, we did a new strategic plan a couple of years ago in 2014, 2015 timeframe to take us through 2018. And so it's really taking a look, you know, one of those is taking a look at that initiative. You know, what are those three three to four big initiatives that are going to make Columbia and Boone County and middle Missouri the next great place to continue to grow your business. Some of the other things is taking a look at making sure organizationally, internally, that things are running the way that we need them to run, that we continue to have quality and great staff that makes things happen. We've got a fantastic team on board. I'm going to cheat and put a fourth one in there. Like all CEOs do, you try to give them three and they'll give you five. So There's always more, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, talking about that in that transportation airport, continue to grow our airlines and support that program. And then the fourth one being diversity and inclusion in our community and our business community and working with our businesses, whether they be large or small. How do you as a business need to work in that arena? You know, some of our businesses are blessed. They're the size in which they have diversity officers in place. But we've got a lot of small and mid-sized businesses that can't necessarily afford that. How can the chamber be that conduit to help them walk that path to make sure that they have an inclusive business for our inclusive community that we have and make sure that they're doing that and, and helping them do that in the right way? Well, and I'll compliment the chamber, too, on that because you guys have a lot of very large businesses that are members of the chamber. You also have some mid-sized businesses, but you've got a lot of really small businesses that really rely on the chamber for a lot of education and Mm -hmm. resources. And, and they give back to the chamber too. I mean, they serve on committees, 
if I'm a small business like that, what are some of the benefits for me if I want to join the chamber? Like, why would I be drawn to do that? Yeah, you know, about 80% of our memberships made up a small business and we consider small business 25 employees or less. So about 80% of our membership is made up of that. You know, you take a look at our small businesses, they put in a lot of what we call sweat equity into the organization to make things happen. So a lot of what we really work with is being that resource center, as you said, whether we do it or we have other organizations in town that do it that we can help them get connected to. The other thing is we talk a lot about helping our businesses build their network. We don't talk much about networking because that's the actual action of it. What you've got to do first is you've got to build your network. And how do we help you build your network? How do we get you in contact with that circle of influence that you need to make sure you're a part of to be successful? Yeah, you know, you can get that through, you know, committee volunteer or being involved in different things that we have going on. And, you know, we've got our showcase being involved in things like that to help build your network. But also working with that relationship with our small businesses, we've really taken a different mindset on how we approach membership, where before it was all about the quantity. And now we want to make sure not only the quantity, but we also have the quality relationship with our members and saying, you know, what's keeping you up at night? What are some things that we can help you solve? What are some of your struggles? You know, what are some of your successes? that we can help promote and we can uh, help you celebrate yeah. and do some of those things. I'll give a shout out to my project manager, Amanda Tilford here at Clear Vision too. I think she's worked hard on the showcase. She has worked hard on the showcase. So I'm really proud of her involvement in doing that. Well, we appreciate you giving her the time to do so. And that, that's a lot of it that encouraging our businesses to allow their employees to have that time to help them build their network. Also, it's not just building the company's network, but it's also helping you build your professionals that work for you, helping them build their network also. So I talk a lot about on the program, I talk a lot about Leadership Columbia, so I don't want to hit that one too much. But there's also a program called Junior Leadership Columbia. So tell everybody about that, because I think that's a fantastic program. It is a fantastic program. You know, from my understanding, kind of was born out of Leadership Columbia and something that's we've been doing for 20 plus years. And so what that is, is we focus on juniors in high school, just juniors in all of our high schools, whether they be public, private, homeschool, whatever it might be. Uh, We take 25 students. Uh, We usually have about 40 apply. And we take about 25 students and we walk them somewhat through the path of what Leadership Columbia does, but with a couple other different aspects to it. Uh, We'll bring in leadership aspects, you know, how to be a good community citizen, but also help them understand what what makes a community work? You know, all the things that you think just happen don't happen by accident. They happen because really good people and really good organizations make them happen. So we'll walk them through, you know, education day. So they even understand what all goes into making your education. You know, running a school system just doesn't happen. There's folks like Peter Stiepelman and his staff and all the teachers and principals that all put that together. But then we also take them through a, a, a local government, city and county, get them to see what they do, take them through some state government. And it's really starting to build that leadership and how they see themselves giving back to their community that they're a part of. That's fantastic. And then we have the Leadership Columbia alumni. Yes. So twice a year, we have a mixer for all former members of Leadership Columbia. Because once you go through once, you don't get to go through again. Mm -hmm. We try to reach out and stay in contact with those people that have been in the program, I think, since 1988 or 89. Yeah, right in there. And uh, we have great turnout for those events. And then you have something called the Leadership Visit. We do. What's that? So that's something we started uh, four years ago as a new program for us, something we started developing and putting together. And so what we do is we open this up to our members 
And we'll take a contingency of business owners, small, medium, large, nonprofit. We've had uh, city council, school board, some of our state legislators have gone on the trip, and we take them to another community. So we take that leadership from here and take it, and we meet with their leadership in that other community for about two and a half days is what it works out to being. And we've been to, to Knoxville, Tennessee, Gainesville, Florida. We've gone to Fort Collins. We've gone to Lexington this last year. So we've done some pretty dynamic trips and and really seeing how they do things. And we usually try to have a number of topics that we want to talk to them about that are pertinent for us, but also something that's important for them. We always make sure it's a university community, something that their number one economic driver, one of their top economic drivers is higher education because that is our number one economic driver. And so we spend, like I said, spend two and a half days doing that. You know, the, the educational part of it is great. But I think what is the most fun to watch happen is how the people on that trip form a bond and form a friendship. And it's been fun to see people that have never spoken to one another outside of some formalities or things really become friends and build that network and build their relationship together. And in turn, we've had the opportunity to host about three leadership visits to Columbia uh, from other states and other cities uh, that have come here to see how we're doing things. And that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, there are other ways to do things. Yeah, right? yeah, it's not only one way to do it, you know. I mean, and not that anything's right or wrong or good or bad. It's yeah. just different. Right? Well, and it is. It's different. It's also seeing what are what can we take from this community and make it work for our community, and vice versa. What can we help them with? Because that's also the great part of it. When we're in these other communities, they start asking us questions. Well, how do you handle this or how do you handle that? And so it's being able to share that knowledge. I always get asked, like, when are you going to teach an advanced leadership class? Well, you know, that's something we've kind of toyed around with is what is, you know, Leadership Columbia 2.0, if you will, right? And uh, what would that even look like? So we've started doing some research on what maybe some other chambers and other organizations around the nation have done. And how would we develop that to make sure that it is different enough from what Leadership Columbia is and not just uh, another version of it? If you I will. just kind of kid around with them and say, I don't even know if I can show you that that yeah like that, that might, might just blow your mind or something you know so i really appreciate you being here today i'm gonna ask you a standard list of my closing questions here and I, i'm just gonna run these by you in rapid succession best memory that comes to mind for you in your life uh kids being born cool number one hero for you my dad what's your dad's name jimmy jimmy well, top value you subscribe to honesty and integrity most important person in your life? My wife. Your favorite thing? Wow. Um, playing with my kids. I thought you were going to say boat. Boat, too. That was, <laughs> it was real close. <laughs> They're right next to each other. Boating's right there with it. <laughs> uh, favorite food? Uh, hamburgers. Oh, good. Yeah, I could eat one every day. Yes. Most beautiful place you've been to? Uh, that would be between two, either Hawaii or Costa Rica. If you could describe success in one word, what would that be? family. How do you want to be remembered? Helping. Advice for a younger you? Oh, relax. (laughs) Take it easy. What's your favorite sound? Laughter. And best lesson you've learned? Um, two pop in my head. One is don't sweat the small stuff. The other is, uh, it's more of a professional one. It's one I share a lot with incoming CEOs is, (laughs) <laughs> it might not even be, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's, it's, uh, keep the, uh, five board members that hate you away from the five board members that uh, are undecided about you and you'll be okay. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's great. 
You know, years ago in my office in another lifetime, I, I used to have a large poster in my office, and nobody will probably remember this person, but on NBC used to be an anchor named Connie Chung. Oh, yeah. And I had a, a poster of Connie Chung in my office, and that quote was on that poster, don't yeah. sweat the small stuff. Yeah. I think she might have written that book, too, but it, that's great advice. You know, I also learned one today. Uh, you know, we had our breakfast this morning. Tom Donahue, the president of the U.S. Chamber, was speaking. We, we were talking, and he said, you know, he gave me a great piece of advice. He goes, you know, whenever you're hiring, he said, look at three things. Hire people with integrity, hire people that are hard workers, and never hire anybody dumber than you are. There you go. Yeah, and so that's one of the things that I've learned. <laughs> Slam dunk. If I want to be a member of the chamber, what do I need to do? Just give us a call, and uh, we'd love to sit down and talk with you. Uh, we've got a great membership director, Chad, and uh, Chad really, what he'll do is he'll sit down with you and talk with you about, you know, what are your hopes, what are your dreams, what are you trying to accomplish, why do you want to be a member, what's keeping you up at night, because we also want to make sure that we're the right fit for you as a business, and, and we might not be, but what we also want to help you be as successful and if we're not the right fit for you maybe we can help you find who is and where is uh, but it's really learning about that business so we'd love the opportunity to sit down and talk with you don't shy away from calling chad he's a great guy yeah very he's doing fantastic man it's always good to talk to you likewise appreciate the time all right Fantastic having Matt here today. I want to thank him for being my guest. When Better Than Before comes back, I'll have for you this week's leadership lesson. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back and wrapping up today's podcast. We're going to talk about your weekly leadership lesson and business lesson. And we're talking about culture and climate this month uh, with a lot of our Clear Vision content. It's sort of our theme for the month. Last week's podcast, we talked about the dominance of Amazon. And this week, I want to talk about Southwest Airlines. I tweeted this article out on, um, I believe, Monday night. So if you want to check my Twitter feed, you can get this. It's called Southwest CEO says all you need is love. And it's talking about how their culture is based on love. And I'll read you a quote. He says, love is part of the fabric at Southwest Airlines. Love Field is our headquarters in Dallas. L-U-V is our three-letter symbol on the stock exchange. And it's a word that we're not embarrassed to use about how we feel about the company, our employees, or our customers. And he says, people want to come back for Southwest Airlines because they have an awareness of what I'm describing. They want to work with and fly with a great company. So experiences with Southwest, I mean, I fly a lot, so I've got a lot of Southwest experience. I've only flown once with them, and uh, my husband and I had to sit in separate sections. So I got to know different people. You must people. have been in the seaboarding. <laughs> I think so. I've only flown Southwest once, and I'm not a big fan of the unassigned seating. 
I wasn't able to get a window seat. Oh, you didn't? Okay. All right. Well, I'll address that. But I will say that most of my experiences with Southwest Airlines have been awesome. I did fly here a couple of weeks ago to do a company retreat for a a bunch of executives that are my clients. And the flight from St. Louis to Atlanta, fabulous. The flight from Atlanta to Fort Myers, Florida, we didn't have a chance to go to the bathroom. The time that we went from one flight to another flight, the layover was like, 15 minutes. Now, we were lucky because when we got off the plane, the gate to the next gate was really short, but the bathroom was way down on the other end of the terminal. So I'm like, do I go? Do I not go? Do I wait? We're going to board in 10 minutes. Maybe I'll go once I get on the plane. So I decided not to go. So we get on the plane. I'm thinking, okay, when he turns off the seatbelt sign, I'll go to the bathroom. Now, let me say, I was wrong. The seatbelt sign was on when I went to the lavatory, okay? So I shouldn't have got up out of my seat when the seatbelt sign was on. There was this flight attendant in the back where the back lavatory was, and as I came through, she didn't even look at me. She just kind of snarled, seatbelt sign is on. I'm like, I'm sorry. But I went on and went in the lavatory, you know, and did whatever. But that is the only time that I can remember on a Southwest flight when anybody ever, like, snarled or barked like they would have just pulled you aside and said now the seatbelt signs on you shouldn't be back here but go ahead and do what you got to do and but get back to your seat as soon as possible but i mean she was like you hit the angry button you know and she's like seatbelt sign is on like i'm sorry (laughs) so back to the southwest culture if you love someone you don't gamble away their livelihood how can you say you care about your employees if you allow your company to become unprofitable southwest airlines has never been unprofitable So many airlines have gone bankrupt in the last several years uh, or run out of money or run out of cash or had to go into Chapter 11. Southwest never has. Actually, there was a rumor not long ago that Warren Buffett was thinking about buying Southwest. I don't know if uh, that's true or if he is going to. If you love someone, so the whole culture is based on love, right? If you love someone, you don't charge them a fee for taking a bag on the trip. We want you to bring a bag with you. Why should there be a penalty? If you love someone, you don't put them on a scale and charge them by the pound. I just think that's crazy. We want the travel experience to be good. Who wants to talk about their weight? He talks about if you if you love someone, you give them freedom to sit where they want, which is the whole thing you didn't like. If you've never flown Southwest, here's how it is, right? You get A through 61. So if your boarding pass has an A on it, it has a number between 1 and 61. So if you're in the A boarding group, you have a place in line. Once you get on the plane, whatever number in A you are, you can sit wherever you want. Then they have a B boarding group, 1 through 61. The seating is somewhat limited at that point because you already had 61 people get on. Now you got 122 people on the plane. So unless it's a three-seater on each side, if it's a two-seater on each side, seating's really going to start because I imagine Whitney was in C group. Because when you board on C group, Get catching two seats together is hit and miss. I flew to San Antonio once. We flew on separate flights with my wife. We bought separate tickets. She ends up with like C55 or something like that. And so she's the last person on the plane. It doesn't bother her in the least. And me, I'm sitting back there like looking, trying to figure out where she is, you know. And so when that happens, what I do is I go all the way to the back of the plane and sit in the very last seat and save that seat. 
Nobody ever usually comes back there, you know, wanting that last seat. But if they do, I'll say I'm saving it for somebody. But that's my strategy usually if I'm flying with somebody else. If I'm flying by myself, it doesn't matter. But their whole culture is based on love. And so if you've flown Southwest very much, you know, they like to have fun, you know, and they say funny things. They tell jokes. They sing songs. Now, when Herb Kelleher was the CEO, it was really over the top. I think as their current CEO has taken over, I think they've calmed down quite a bit. It's always been fun. So they have one of the best cultures, I think, and that comes across to customers. So the thing you got to remember is, is you have a lot of people saying, well, why do we care about what our culture is? Well, if your employees are not having fun at work and they're not happy at work, some of that's going to come across to customers. If your employees believe in the company and they enjoy the products and services, then they're going to present those products and services to potential customers or current customers in that same emotional light. So whatever's inside your company is eventually going to show on the outside. Usually there are two ways to think about your company. There's backstage, just like you go to a play. There's all kind of stuff that happens backstage that you don't see from front stage. But occasionally backstage stuff makes it to the front stage. And what you want in your company is you want to have a strong culture that makes it to the front stage as long as it's good. When you have a bad culture and climate in your company and it makes it to the front stage, it's not good. The last piece of advice I want to give you, though, and this is chronic because not everybody will hire people like us to come in and help them design and execute a good company culture and climate. They think they can just rip off somebody else's. The one here in Columbia, Missouri, which some people may have may not heard of, and it's a national company, is Veterans United. And um, I've been notorious over the years for telling people you can't be Veterans United. You know why? Because there's already a Veterans United. It's like somebody saying, I want to be Bill Foster. Well, you can't be Bill Foster. There's already a Bill Foster. Or you can't be Whitney Coker. There's already a Whitney Coker. So you'll have to do the best you can with who you are. And typically, the culture flows from the CEO. It flows from the whoever's in charge. They set the pace. They set the tone. They set the expectations. And the culture usually flows from that person, the business owner, whoever's in charge. They set the expectations. What a lot of people want to do is they want to try to be somebody else that they think has it right. And you can't do that. It won't work. There can only be one Disney. You can't be Disney. You can't out Walmart, Walmart. There's already a Walmart. Anytime you decide to be a copycat culture company, you're going to lose. That isn't going to work. JCPenney tried to do this. They hired an Apple executive because they thought Apple was cool. And they thought that the Apple executive could bring coolness to JCPenney. And we're going to be a cool brand like Apple. If we hire an Apple executive, they'll teach us how to be cool. Well, the stock went in the tank and so did the company because they couldn't be Apple. They had to be JCPenney. And instead of being JCPenney and a better iteration of JCPenney, they tried to be Apple. And it just doesn't work. The rule of thumb there, the leadership lesson for today is don't try to be something you're not. Don't try to copycat somebody else. You have enough inside your own company and inside your own leadership to create your own culture, whether you think so or not. And if you need help with that, we'd be glad to help you. Pretty good show today. We started out talking about technology breakthroughs in healthcare. We talked about the 3D printed house that you can buy for $10,000. You got to get excited about a $10,000 house. Now I feel like I'm on the prices right. Matt McCormick, fantastic guest today from Columbia Chamber of Commerce, the executive director. Really enjoyed having him. Always enjoy interacting with Matt. And we wrapped it up with a culture lesson in our leadership lesson. Don't forget to download our show. We will put it out on social media. There's all kinds of places you can get it on iTunes and Stitcher 
Stitcher and Audio Boom. Please, anywhere you subscribe to our podcast, leave a review because we want to hear from you. If you have questions for us on the show that you'd like for us to answer, you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at clearvisiondevelopment.com. And for producer Bill and project manager Whitney, I'm Tony Richards. We'll see you next time on Better Than Before. And don't forget, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.